Connects Talks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing FDA approval for Bristol-Myers' next big cardiac drug and a new blood test that can detect ovarian cancer faster. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. This week's podcast features World Ovarian Cancer Day and is sponsored by Elego Health Research. Stay tuned to learn more about Elego later in the show. I'm Aisha Rashid, Senior Life Science Journalist at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Sydney Perlmutter and Vera Kovacevich. Thank you for coming today. I'm going to start us off with a story today about or related to World Ovarian Cancer Day, which falls on May the 8th every year. And the story I'd like to talk about is a new ovarian cancer blood test uh, that can help diagnose ovarian cancer more quickly and more accurately, especially in younger women. Now, researchers at the University of Manchester have developed a new ovarian cancer blood test that can help diagnose the disease faster. And uh, the blood test can be administered by general physicians or practitioners. Now, this new ovarian cancer test includes the use of a newer ovarian cancer biomarker called human epididymis protein 4, or HE4. And this biomarker was approved by the FDA uh, about 10 or so years ago for monitoring remission in patients with epithelial ovarian cancer. And also, um, it can be used as a complementary marker uh, in conjunction with the more commonly used cancer antigen 125 or CA125 biomarker. Now, CA125 is used for monitoring ovarian cancer patients during treatment and also for ovarian cancer screening in certain cases, such as individuals who are at high risk for the, for the disease. But on its own, CA125 is not a reliable enough biomarker for ovarian cancer detection because levels of the protein can be elevated in non-cancerous conditions such as menstruation, pregnancy, endometriosis, or uterine fibroids. It can also be elevated in other cancers, such as endometrial cancer. And so because CA125 is not, uh, again, a reliable enough biomarker to be used in, on its own for the detection of ovarian cancer, um, nor is it uh, you know, useful for all cases, um, this warrants the need for more accurate tests that include um, other biomarkers or a combination of them. Now, ovarian cancer is the eighth most common cancer in women worldwide, and it's the fifth leading cause of cancer deaths among women in the U.S. So, Taking a look at this new ovarian cancer blood test, uh, the University of Manchester researchers behind the study looked at whether this HE4 biomarker could more accurately identify ovarian cancer. They also took a look at whether it could prevent women from undergoing more invasive tests, such as physical exams and biopsies. The research was funded by the health charity Wellbeing of Women in the UK, and the study involved a collaboration between researchers at the University of Manchester, University of Birmingham, 
and University of Exeter. In the study, the investigators analyzed blood samples from over 1,200 patients obtained over a 12-month period. These samples were tested for the diagnostic accuracy of HE4 alone and in combination with CA125. The researchers found that when used in combination with CA125, HE4 could improve ovarian cancer detection, especially in women under the age of 50. The researchers say that a larger scale study is needed to confirm the findings of their research. Now, one of the authors on this study, Dr. Funston, who is an academic clinical fellow in general practice at the University of Manchester, uh, said that while the results require uh, validation in a much larger sample, the findings are extremely promising. Um, he said that ovarian cancer is notoriously difficult to diagnose at an early stage as symptoms are often nonspecific, including uh, things like bloating, pain, and feeling full quickly after eating. Uh, we also know that the current blood test we use to investigate symptomatic women for ovarian cancer in primary care, which is CA125, is less accurate in younger women. And so that's why the researchers hope that uh, their findings can contribute to a change in how quickly ovarian cancer is, identify, is identified. Sorry. And this is especially exciting, he said, as there has been little progress over the years towards developing more accurate ovarian cancer testing approaches for use in primary care. Um, now, Professor David Williams, who's a chair of the Research Advisory Committee at Wellbeing of Women, the uh, foundation that funded the study, um, he said that you know, this is the first time that HE4, this kind of newer biomarker, has ever been evaluated in a primary care setting. And so it will be exciting to see those larger scale studies implemented to further assess its effectiveness as a diagnostic aid. And of course, early diagnosis for ovarian cancer and for almost all cancers um, definitely has important implications for treatment care and survival outcomes. Now, this study has been published in the peer-reviewed journal Cancers. So what do you think about this new ovarian cancer blood test? And, um, you know, gynecologic cancers, of course, are a highlight and, a, you know, a focus on things like World Ovarian Cancer Day is, you know, as, as women, how, you know, how, how much, how focused are, are you on, you know, being you know, thinking about screening for things like ovarian cancer and, uh, you know, and also in younger women, because we kind of, I think I was reading a statistic that one in five women who are who are diagnosed with ovarian cancer are actually um, under the age of 50. So I think, I don't know if it's a growing problem among younger women that you have ovarian cancer being diagnosed in younger women now, or if it's just that we have better diagnostic or, you know, better screening methods now. But yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this new test. Well, I think like biomarkers have a huge potential for like earlier cancer diagnosis. And this is just one example of like how powerful biomarkers can be. And I, I hope this um, new biomarker that's been discovered potentially more promising than the previous one. Um, you know, hopefully they will um, develop diagnostic tests that actually can be used like in a clinical setting, um, yeah, to like help primary women, care, yeah, yeah, to help women get diagnosed earlier, um, because like a fact I read on an article was that in more than seventy percent of cases, 
ovarian cancer is diagnosed at an advanced stage, Mm -hmm. which is like very, you know, upsetting. Um, Yeah, very devastating. Yeah. So I think biomarkers have a huge potential for like earlier cancer diagnosis and like hopefully, you know, for ovarian cancer too very soon. Absolutely, because for ovarian cancer, you know, especially, it's one of those um, diseases where the symptoms can be very vague and they can also can be, you know, often mistaken for other conditions, you know, bloating and and things like that. You know, you might, you know, it might they those kinds of symptoms might be dismissed as things related to the GI, you know, digestive tract or something else, you know, digestive issues. And so that, that's why um, the cancer often goes, you know, undiagnosed and is only detected in later stages, which is really sad. So, but, you know, yeah, biomarker-based blood tests, of course, in, you know, the area of oncology and, and cancer, it's it's huge. I mean, if we can get, you know, accurate and, and sensitive um biomarker tests that can help, um, you know, predict or not predict, but, you know, diagnose and help, you know, monitor treatment as well. I think that is very, very powerful. And this area has been very big for the past, you know, couple of decades. It's just been a matter of finding the right biomarkers that are specific to the disease and the right combinations. I think we're seeing more and more so that it's not just, you know, a question of just one biomarker. Like I know in prostate cancer was PSA for the longest time, but then they discovered that well, you know, in prostatic, you know, hyperplasia and other related conditions like inflammatory conditions, um, PSA levels can also be elevated. So you could have a false positive there. And so that's been the challenge with biomarkers. But I think um, and then same thing with CA125, you know, it's not just um, specific to ovarian cancer. So it's been a real challenge to find specific biomarkers specific to, you know, a given cancer or condition. And I think really the way forward is going to be um, the use of a combination of different um, biomarkers in conjunction. And I think that would, you know, a simple blood test. I mean, that's kind of like the dream that, you know, we all have is like, because you know cancer tests can often be very invasive we're talking about like screening um, you know biopsies and physical exams and stuff so the blood test is you know nothing gets simpler than a blood test Um, and so that would definitely make things a lot easier and i know this isn't specific to um ovarian cancer but i feel like a lot of um you know specifically women's health uh issues just based off of, you know, personal experience and things that I've heard, often women have to do a lot of their own, you know, mm-hmm. personal advocating for themselves and they may not always be believed with their symptoms or just they might be passed off for other things. Um, and I think the easiest way to sort of bypass all of that is to have specific tests that work well, um, you know, like this biomarker that you're talking about. So, um, yeah, I think the more... Um, the less, you know, personal advocating that we have to do for ourselves mm-hmm. and the more, um, you know, tests kind of can do, get those answers for us, right. I think the better. So this is great to hear about. Um, but yeah, for the for the meantime, I think we just have to, we know our bodies better than right. anybody else. Exactly. And we just have to know what's normal and know what feels abnormal to us. And then, um, yeah, uh, I wouldn't, I didn't know that, you know, the symptoms of ovarian cancer were, you know, like you were discussing, they were kind of just vague and could be other things. But that's, I think with things like that, that's why it's even more important to have tests that, that work like this. Yeah. 
such a great point. You know, women, you know, the need for women to be advocating for themselves like so strongly. I mean, it really speaks to to how sometimes women's, you know, health issues aren't taking aren't taken as seriously, be, you know, because the symptoms can be kind of vague and because there's also a lot of heterogeneity, like everybody's everyone's bodies are different and they may experience different symptoms and so we really have to be our own advocates and um but yeah, if we definitely have um tests like these that can help with better screening, I think that would definitely help the cause for sure. Such a great point. Okay, now let's take a break to hear more from our sponsor this week, Elego Health Research. Take a listen to this brief Q&A that I had with Elego about women's health research, including gynecologic oncology trials. How does Elego Health Research help advance research in women's health and gynecologic oncology? Elego is helping to advance research in women's health and gynecologic oncology by increasing access to trial participation and supporting studies through every stage. We accomplish both these goals by offering early access to known patients who are pre-vetted for protocol inclusion, our Intelligo research stack technology, and our research partner services. What are some of the current challenges in women's health clinical research, and how does Elego overcome them? One of the biggest challenges in women's health clinical research is access to research participation. Elego is overcoming this challenge by working directly with local healthcare practices and enabling them to offer clinical research as a care option. We also provide practices with the infrastructure, technology, and expertise necessary to conduct clinical research. How does Elego put the needs of the patient front and center in clinical research? Elego fosters patient centricity by providing early access to patients who are pre-vetted for protocol inclusion, which allows sponsors to design protocols that work with the enrolled patient's needs. We also work closely with the patient's trusted physicians at their local community practices and offer comprehensive education and engagement to ensure each patient's needs are met. All right, now let's move on to our next story um, for the podcast today. And this is related to a new drug approval for HCM, um, specifically obstructive HCM. So the FDA recently approved um, Bristol-Myers Squibb's highly anticipated cardiac drug Chemzios, or Mavicamptin, for the treatment of symptomatic obstructive hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or HCM. The FDA approved 2.5, 5, 10, and 15 milligram capsules. Let me start out, start that again. Sorry, Ryan. So the FDA approved uh, a couple of different dosed capsules of Chemzios for adults with symptomatic New York Heart Association or NYHA class 2, class 3 obstructive HCM to improve functional capacity and symptoms. Now, Chemzios is being, you know, touted to be a future blockbuster for Bristol-Myers Squibb. Um, And the company has actually been looking to refuel or revitalize its cardiac pipeline as its top-selling drug, Eliquis, is due to go off patent in 2026. Um, And they received an extension from its original date in 2023. Now, Bristol-Myers Squibb had acquired Chemzios in its acquisition of myocardia in 2020, and that uh, purchase was worth $13.1 billion. 
So just want to talk a little bit about what HCM is, and um, it involves thickening of the fibers of the muscle of the heart, and this causes the walls of the heart muscle to enlarge and thicken. So, you know, symptoms of HCM include things like shortness of breath, especially upon physical exertion, chest pain, palpitations, weakness, and fatigue. And because of this, HCM patients often have um, problems performing daily physical activities like climbing stairs, lifting weights, or playing sports. Now, conventional HCM treatment has involved treating just the symptoms with drugs like beta blockers or calcium channel blockers. However, Chemzios is actually the first drug that um, selectively uh, and specifically targets the pathophysiology of HCM. So the way it works is that it inhibits cardiac myosin, so it's a selective inhibitor of this protein, muscle protein, to trigger functional um, and symptomatic improvements. So by blocking myosin, chemzyos reduces dynamic left ventricular outflow tract obstruction and enhances cardiac filling pressures in patients with HCM. So Chemzios's approval was based on data from a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled parallel group phase three uh, clinical trial conducted by uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb. And this trial had enrolled 251 adults with symptomatic obstructive HCM. Now, data from the trial showed that 37% of participants who received Chemzios met the composite primary endpoint, uh, which was defined by improvements in things like venous oxygen tension and in, you know, improvements in NYHA class by a minimum of one among other um, indicators. And so the 37% um, uh, of participants who received Chemzios met these endpoints versus 17% in the placebo group. So last year, Bristol-Myers Squibb launched uh, an HCM awareness campaign, which uh, includes a Could It Be HCM website, which provides educational materials on symptoms and other resources for patients. And as part of this campaign, the company also teamed up with NBA rookie at the time, Jared Butler, who was diagnosed with HCM at the age of 18 uh, during a routine health exam. And I wrote about this story back in the fall. And he said, you know, he didn't have any symptoms at the time of his diagnosis. So this condition, again, there's, you know, there's a lot of variability in it, whereas, you know, some people may have very severe symptoms and then some people may be asymptomatic. Now, Camzios uh, actually comes with a boxed warning label for the risk of heart failure. So this is, you know, been kind of a uh, subject, of, uh, subject of contention. And although people in the HCM community are very excited about this new drug approval, um, there is a little bit of concern given this. However, Bristol-Myers Squibb said that the medication will only be available under a risk evaluation and mitigation strategy or REMS program. So they've specifically um, devised a program to um, to evaluate risk for, for heart failure um, for patients that may receive this medication. And so the FDA, alongside, you know, reviewing Chemzios, they also reviewed um, this program by Bristol-Myers. And so this actually led to a delay in Chemzios's overall approval. Um, and so the, the deadline was originally in January. Now, overall, the drug has been well tolerated according to um, 
Dr. Hira Watt from uh, Bristol-Myers Squibb, who is the chief medical officer at the company. And so Dr. Hirawat said that, you know, they want to make sure that the benefits always outweigh the risk, and therefore they have implemented this REMS program um, in parallel with the approval of the drug. Now, you know, I mentioned that BMS um, has, you know, a lot of best-selling drugs, including things like uh, the blood thinner um, Eliquis, as well as multiple myeloma drug uh, Revlimid. And so these drugs are actually reaching the patent cliff, so to say. And so that's why they've, uh, you know, they're really banking on some future drugs that they have in their pipeline. And one of the big ones was um, Mavicamptin or Chemzios. And so this is, you know, a huge approval for them. And, you know, they think that uh, they project that Chemzios, along with a couple of other drugs in their pipeline, like an anemia drug and uh, an immuno-oncology drug candidate, uh, they think that these new drugs can help them reach peak sales of more than $4 billion alone or in combinations in the coming uh, couple of years. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on this new drug approval um, for HCM. And what do you think about these patent cliffs and, you know, the uh, entrance of like generics um, or biosimilars in this case into the market? Well, regarding this new approval of Kimzaios, um, what really I... What really surprised me when I was listening to this was that the MBA rookie, um, Jared Butler, who was Mm -hmm. diagnosed with this condition at an age of 18. Mm -hmm. So I thought, like, why would a very healthy, athletic, like, 18-year-old have, like, a heart disease? And then I realized, well, this is, like, one of the most common forms of genetic heart disease. Yeah, congenital, yeah. Yeah, so then I was like, oh, okay, like, that that particular part made more sense to me. And... um, yeah, really glad that there's this new drug for this unmet medical need because absolutely. Yeah, it's it could be scary being like so young and diagnosed with like a heart disease, mm-hmm. um, where one of the options are medications or perhaps like surgery, depending on yeah. how severe it is. And I'm also really glad that BMS developed this like risk evaluation yes. program, which shows that they are very, very serious about safety of their mm-hmm. medications and, you know, um, who should get it at what dose for how long. So I, I was really, um, it really shows that they really thought out um, this drug, you know, it wasn't just a clinical trial approval, it, they also went through this program as well. So that, that was great news. Mm-hmm. And they realized, you know, the great potential that this drug has uh, for patients and, you know, it's pharma, so also business, right? So they're they're banking a lot. Uh, there's a lot at stake with this drug, and so that's why I think they really covered their basis. And it's I was also really it was great to learn about that program that they've implemented um, alongside uh, this approval to really make sure that um, they're able to, you know, um, administer this drug to the patients who need it most, but then also keeping in mind the safety profile and doing that risk evaluation. And then Aisha, you also asked us about like the generics, like once they flood the market. Yeah, because, you know, they're talking a lot about how a couple of um, the company's drugs are going to go off patent and then they're going to have, you know, biosimilar competition coming into the market and stuff. So, 
you know, a lot of these companies are bracing themselves for that. They're like, okay, well, you know. So would you say that like one of the motivations or well, one of the reasons we're having this patents in pharma is to like kind of encourage companies to continue like developing new treatments <laughs> or is it just like... Yes, be uh, yeah, because while, you know, companies want to make money because that's mm -hmm. going to come back to them, profits and also, you know, R&D and so um, a company has to be profitable in order to continue its R&D into newer drugs um and so definitely that money business is an incentive but then at the same time you have to also consider you know the patients and the drug has to also be accessible right so if you have like a two million dollar drug you know the companies will justify it because oh well a lot went into r&d and we need to recoup costs and blah 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 and then funnel that money into our future programs but you know at the cost of you know you know the expense to patients you want to also have it accessible so you need to strike that balance and so that's where um the patents it's like a tug of war kind of a thing like the companies are trying to hold on as long as possible you know they try to get extensions and all of that but then and then you know do all kinds of things to block competition from biosimilars or generics from entering the market um and so there's like a constant battle there so it's it's kind of a toss up. It's like, okay, these companies want to make money because they say they need to make money, but you know, you cannot yeah. have such expensive drugs that make it so inaccessible to patients. So. so Aisha, do you know how long these patents last? Yeah, so patent terms are generally about 20 years from the date that they're first filed. Um, I know that it was increased by a couple of years um, back in the 80s. I think it was initially like back then it was like 17 years, but it was increased to 20 years or so. And then you have companies, you know, like I said, um, always trying to get extensions on these patents so that they can, you know, profit more more so uh, in the market and also, you know, prevent, you know, try to really delay competition from um, uh, generics and biosimilars from entering the market for as long as they possibly can. Okay, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.